This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. But for today, of course, it's the Canton and Simu show. I'm joined, as always, by Harry Simu from Econicals of Aguna. How you doing, mate? You good? You well? All good. Trying not to melt in these, uh, mm. these rainforest conditions. But yeah, all good, man. How are you? Tom, is, is that a new Love Island shirt you got there? It's not a new Very shirt, nice. but... I, I've kind of braved wearing it. You know, I just feel like these kind of loose shirts are good for this weather. Um, but yeah, I suppose it can go into the Love Island <laughs> kind of collection that we're <laughs> gradually building on the channel. Yeah. Um, the chat, the thing is, the funny thing about the morning shows is people started saying that the the wackier the shirts I wore, the more likely a big signing was was coming in. But it also meant that the only shirts, short sleeve shirts I have are kind of wackier style of shirts and i didn't really want to you know leave people thinking oh this is a hint that something big is happening when it isn't i'm just well off so sorry about that and if you can hear any buzzing in the background i can only apologize but i can't not have the fan on and neither can harry today so uh do we do apologize if you can but we're pretty sure that it's either to a minimum or nothing so do let us know in the chat box if it is an issue but uh i'm pretty sure it should be fine uh speaking of the possibility of big signings the first time i've been able to sit down with with yourself really and, and talk about zinchenko since these rumors surfaced i remember that we did a show back with dan and sophie on your channel where you know we kind of put together the players that we wanted to see come in and myself and sophie both put zinchenko in our our list so we're pretty happy about this but where do you sit on the whole zinchenko idea yeah i like it i like it um it was an idea that i was very much in favor of really early this summer but as the summer started to progress and you know we we basically heard nothing about zinchenko and a potential move to Arsenal, I started to think that it wasn't a possibility. And I kind of pushed it to one side as an idea. Um, obviously, the rumours have resurfaced. It looks as though negotiations are moving forward, but maybe not as quickly as we'd like on the personal side yeah. of things. But, you know, I'm, I think this would be a really, really good addition. I've got to say, though, I'm a little bit confused as to what the role is that Zinchenko is going to have at Arsenal. And, I, and I'll mm. tell you why. So first of all, on the the first thing is that I don't think Zinchenko wants to play as a left back. I think that any move away 
was going to be on the premise that he'd get the opportunity to A, play more football, but B, play in his preferred position. And I do like the idea of Zinchenko playing as the left number eight. I think that would be a really great fit. The thing that kind of stops me going down that road too far, though, is that I don't see, and you might disagree, Mikel Arteta just dropping Granit Xhaka out of the starting eleven. I know he's an unpopular figure. I know there are a lot of fans that can't wait to see him out of the team. But I think the manager has shown that he's got an immense amount of trust in him as as an individual. So I feel like Zinchenko is stuck between two positions, although I'd happily have him in both. So I'm not against Mm. the signing. I I like the signing. I'm just really intrigued and interested to see how exactly he fits into the picture. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Will Xhaka just come out and will he be the left eight? Will there be rotation? Will he play more at left back? When you think about what we what we were told about Lissandro Martinez and our interest there, mm. I think surely that has to play a part in what Zinchenko's role is going to look like, right? I do, yes. I think there's an element of that. And there is obviously going to be a question mark over where he plays. I think he sees him playing in both. I think Zinchenko will be open to playing both if he's given more regular minutes. So, you know, I think he's averaged something like 15, 16 starts in the Premier League at City. I think he should be averaging more starts than that for Arsenal. I think that at both left back and centre midfield, I think he can average more starts than that. I think that Arteta's wanted to build his own back five, including the goalkeeper and the left back, beyond Tavares is the only really untouched area of of that kind of back five. And I still think that there's, I think we still think we'll see Zinchenko play that left back role a fair amount, despite the fact that there's clearly a ambition of his to want to play more in midfield. If you think about the amount of times he played in midfield for City last season, I think it was once against PSG. And in fairness, he had a really good performance that day playing kind of deeper in the midfield on the left-hand side and he ran the midfield uh, that day. So there was clearly potential to play that at a high level. But I do think that he will compete with Granit Xhaka as well. I think if you look at kind of the comparison of the stats between the two in midfield last season, and kind of not necessarily just in midfield, but you know the stats that Zinchenko put in that left back compared to some of the stats of Xhaka, and you can make some clear comparisons. And to be honest, the way in which Zinchenko plays at left back for Arsenal, uh, for City, sorry, isn't all that dissimilar to how Xhaka plays left centre mid for Arsenal because he kind of drops into that left half space when Tierney moves forward or Tavares pushes forward. And Zinchenko occupies a very similar space as well for City. So if you look at their heat maps, despite playing naturally different positions, they're not wildly different areas of the field that they are kind of occupying. I think it was you that was talking about it with me, that Arteta doesn't really have positions for his players. He kind of has areas of the field that his players occupy. And I think that Zinchenko would fall into that Xhaka kind of area of the field, but I actually do think he will compete for those starting positions with both Tierney and Xhaka. And I think what we'll see from Zinchenko is a player that comes in and competes because the biggest thing for me, Harry, this summer was that we signed players that weren't quote unquote backups, you know, players that actually came in to compete for positions. And I think Zinchenko does that. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're spot on. I think he does come in and I think you're right. He does compete for both of those positions. I'm just curious and interested to see which one it is that he has the most joy in. I mean, Kieran Tierney's definitely going to give him opportunities, right? I mean, we're in pre-season and Kieran Tierney's not even fit uh, to take part in that. He missed the game, obviously, the other night. Um, So I do think that he'll get opportunities at left-back. There's no question about that in my mind. Do you think that the reason that we maybe haven't gone for another defensive midfielder is because that Arteta thinks that with Zinchenko coming in between Granit Xhaka and maybe Mohamed Elneny, they could cover that position. Does that play into the thinking 
behind the Zinchenko signing as well? Does it free up Jacker to do a slightly different midfield role that I don't think suits him necessarily, but I also don't think he's a number eight. I think he's somewhere in between. And um, yeah, it's just going to be a really interesting dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I agree with you. I don't think Xhaka is a defensive mid. I don't think he's an eight. Um, I think he's that deep line playmaker and that's the role that he's best used to play. I, I think that Arteta, like Guardiola, likes to set up his teams based upon who the opposition is. Um, oh, we've just lost Harry for a second. We'll try and get Harry back shortly. I think that you could see from his screen that we were getting a little bit of interference. So hopefully Harry will be back very, very soon indeed. But just to kind of carry on that point, just while Harry reconnects, I think that we have a player in Zinchenko that will, sorry, a player in Xhaka that has found those half spaces between the number six and the number eight position kind of difficult to come by. And I think that against other teams, like Arteta wants to set up in certain ways against some teams and he doesn't want to set up it against other teams in, in other ways. Xhaka will suit some oppositions and won't necessarily suit um, certain teams. So if you think about going away to Manchester City, if you think about going away to Liverpool, I think what we might see is a player like Xhaka used more often. But when you're Arsenal are playing at home against some of the teams lower down the table, what we'll probably end up seeing is Xhaka play much less and maybe someone like Zinchenko coming who's more progressive or potentially if we sign someone like Tillemans or Paqueta that they combine in midfield with someone like Martin Odegaard who's more offensive. So I think that's the potential of what we will see whilst we wait for harry's internet to sort itself out and hopefully reconnect we'll jump into the chat box and run through a load of your questions i've got a couple of whatsapps from harry <laughs> internet has dipped out he's coming back he will be with us shortly let's jump to albrecht who says agree tom Xhaka's mobility isn't the best zinchenko will do way better there wandering minstrel uh i, I guess that's if you, you drop one of your minstrels uh, if you ever enjoy one of those although i would not recommend having a Galaxy Minstrel in this weather. Uh, but Zinchenko will give Arteta extra options. He absolutely will. Uh, EK May says, has Zinchenko been confirmed? Not yet. It is closing on that point. Both clubs have agreed a fee. It is just those personal terms that need to be finalised, the length of contracts, the breakdown of wages, bonuses, etc. All of that's being sorted out. Um, but as soon as that deal is confirmed, we're probably expecting Marco Correa to move to Manchester City with a bid uh, almost certainly expected to come in near the point that Zinchenko does move on. Uh, Girish says, uh, if we sign Zinchenko and play him in midfield, and why are we trying to sign Arta? Can't we use those funds for a winger? I think potentially what you may see is those funds redirected elsewhere. If indeed we do sign Zinchenko, I think it could affect other deals. Speaking of affecting other deals, let's get the thoughts of my guest if he is indeed back. Harry, how are you doing? Oh, sorry, mate. I, I don't know what <laughs> happened. I got a massive, massive lag there and then the internet started jumping up and down and then I thought, shit, I better log out, log back in again. And, and that one wasn't working. So I've put on another laptop now. Hopefully it's Sorry, all right. Mate. It's all good. Yeah, you're, you're crisp and clear on here so we can hear you and see you fine. Um, it was just a question kind of coming in about the idea of signing Zinchenko and that affecting kind of the players that we would go for. You know, Zinchenko can play in midfield. Do we then need to sign a Tillemans or a Paqueta or does signing more of an attacking wide player make more sense once Zinchenko is brought in? It all depends on kind of what I was saying before. I think that if... Granite Xhaka is seen as someone that can cover the Partey role if he's someone that is trusted and is someone that, you know, Mikel Arteta wants to keep in the picture, um, along with, you know, Mohamed Elneny, who he recently tied down to a new contract. And of course, uh, you know, Sambi Lokonga still around as well. I think that you could see Arsenal say that this is it for midfield business um, and maybe turn their attentions to a wide forward for what's left of the window. Interestingly, though, there's there's noises. I don't know if you've seen them 
uh, this afternoon suggesting that Yuri Tielemans is kind of still waiting for Arsenal. So is that a possibility? And does that suggest that Arsenal is still in the market for a midfielder? I'm not sure. Really tough to read what's going on. Yeah, it is. I, I like it because obviously it means Arsenal are doing their best to keep things under wraps. And, you know, that, that I think ends at Arsenal getting a much better situation for their transfers. I will be obviously excited to see someone like Tielemans brought in. I struggle to see where we're going to fit all of these players. But why should we moan about more players and more quality being brought in? It's, you know, it's, just, it's a strange confliction I suppose and contradiction in a way when we kind of look at the players that we're bringing in and go where are they going to fit but at the same time be excited that Arsenal are getting all these more attacking options look I think Harry with the transfer window in general we want to get to a place where we can point the finger solely at Arteta you know that we don't have to look at the players that we do or don't have you know, we want to be in a situation where if we have injuries, we've got the quality to back up and cover those positions so that if Arsenal aren't achieving their goals, we know plainly that, you know, the coach is the problem and that it's not coming from the players because we've signed good ones. Up until, you know, the last couple of seasons, Arsenal haven't really been in that position. And I think with the signings that we're trying to make, you're clearly seeing an effort to step that up so we can be a lot clearer about where those problems lie. Oh, you're on mute, Harry. There we go. New laptop. Don't know what I'm doing. Uh, there you go. Like you, you know, you're right. You do need. Um, you you do want to get to a point where you're not. You know, you're not looking at at the players that we've got anymore. You're not looking at mm. the squad anymore. Because I think last season, as much as people really, really wanted to hammer Mikel Arteta in the way that we kind of fell apart towards the back end of the season and in the way we eventually missed out on Champions League football. Ultimately, you looked at that squad. You looked at that group, and you know, really, were we were we there? Were we actually at the point where Champions mm. League football was going to be, um, you know, a reality for us? I know we we missed out narrowly, quite narrowly in the end. But I think for me, that was Arsenal sort of slightly punching above their weight That's as right. opposed to Arsenal underperforming. When you look at that squad and you look at the lack of depth that we clearly had. Some will argue that, well, we made that even worse when we moved players out in January, but that's ultimately cleared the way for this summer. Um, you know, we wouldn't have been able to go and get Gabriel Jesus. I don't think Arsenal would have gone and paid £45 million for a player in the final year of his contract, as well as giving him the salary that he mm. clearly wanted to join the club um, without moving some of those players on. I don't envisage personal terms being a problem with Zinchenko for that same reason, because we've managed to clear the decks ahead of time. I think the delay and the the kind of the issue with Zinchenko may well be something around what his role is going to be, as opposed to money. I don't think money will be a problem. Um, but you know, we we hear that Arsenal are still interested in doing more business. We think that Arsenal are going to still uh, be active in the market. All of those things are are the the sort of the benefit from taking a gamble like we did at the back end of last season, in the second half of last season, but. Ultimately, people will say I'm making excuses because I get that all the time. But I really do feel like Arsenal overachieved by narrowly missing out on the top four, as opposed to massively underachieving. And that gives me encouragement that with the right signings again, um, you know, we, we can get that little bit closer and, and hopefully get there and, and achieve it. Because mm. it's a massive next step for us, you know, to get back to where we want to be. It's a massive next step. You need that Champions League status. You need the Champions League revenue. Um, uh, you need all the things that come with it. And um, and let's hope we can get there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it frustrates me, obviously, when we, we hear the word excuses, you know, crop up. It's an easy thing to label it, you know, people who will 
come up with reasons as to why maybe things didn't turn out the way that it could have done. And I think there were genuine reasons why we didn't finish in the top four that were out of our control and that aren't worth disregarding. There were certainly things that also were within our control that we don't disregard either. You know, team selections against the likes of Brighton certainly added to it, potentially not bringing in a player in January that we could have done when the opportunity was there. I certainly haven't disregarded that. But it's... Yeah, I do get frustrated when the word excuses sometimes crops up because it's not about making excuses, it's about having a genuine argument. The thing is, when you do have debates with people that, that label them as excuses, you tend to find there's a struggle to to have that debate because they struggle to disprove that point still and and to remove the legitimacy of it. Uh, moving they're into the rest of the goal, they're sorry. Reasons. They're, they're reasons, aren't they? They're, yeah, they are, yeah. they're reasons why you fell short. Like, you know, if a boxer goes into a boxing ring and gets beaten, it was maybe because... You know, they weren't defending themselves well enough. They weren't as aggressive as they maybe should have been. There's reasons for that. It doesn't mean it's an excuse. You, if you don't identify the reasons for a problem, how do you fix it? You can't. So actually, I think it's it's helpful and valuable to go back, you know, work out what exactly went wrong and try and understand how you can better yourself. There's no point in just being outraged and not uh, trying to be constructive because if if the people inside the club were like that, we'd never go anywhere. No, exactly. Exactly. And I think the one thing I see under this current regime is actually a a process where they learn from mistakes. You know, when we first started in the window under Arteta, we were bringing in the Marie's, your Cedric's, your Willian's of this world. Yes, with some victories like Gabriel and Partey, sure. But, you know, we've weeded out those bad signings. And I think that we've moved into a position where we are making good moves for players of the good age profile, the right kind of characteristics that we want to play a certain way. And we're seeing the the benefits of that now with the, the slide being arrested, pushing towards Champions League qualification, and hopefully soon pushing towards even higher, uh, you know, ambitions. And that's where we want Arsenal to be, is pushing for the highest absolute possible um, titles and, and trophies that we can. And, and we need to keep pushing in that direction. Uh, the the attacking position is an interesting one, you know, because there are players at the club like Pepe, like Nelson, that could still move on between now and the end of the window. We've heard suggestions that Arsenal's business in terms of a wide area isn't done. But to me, that there isn't kind of a standout candidate with the one we're being linked to, nor that I would say is realistically viable and that genuinely upgrades us. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about the likes of Cody Gakpo. We've talk, mentioned names like Moussa Diaby. Um, we've talked about Rafinha previously. He, I genuinely saw as someone that would come in and improve on what we got. That said... You know, he still doesn't start over Pakai Saka for me on the first game of the Premier League season against Crystal Palace, which kind of tells you how difficult it's going to be to find that player that's going to be brought in. But, you know, Leroy Sané has been mentioned. I don't think there's any legitimacy, any legitimacy in that link, to be honest. Um, I, I don't buy that Arsenal are trying to sign Leroy Sané. I think that they have, may have potentially you know, looked at him or considered him as a player, especially when they signed Sadio Mane. But I just... I just don't see that as an option. So where do you, where's your head kind of at with this wide option before the, the window ends? Yeah, it's a hard one because I think if we're going to bring somebody in in those positions, i.e. give competition to Saka, to uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, to Martinelli, then for me, you've got to be looking at an upgrade, right? And I know that those players have all got lots and lots of potential and lots and lots of ability and are very much the future of Arsenal Football Club. But I would argue that the only way I could justify that being a priority position for us this summer is if we went out and got someone who was proven, someone who was definitely going to get you double figures in terms of goals um, in the Premier League alone and have that much of an impact. 
if you're looking for someone who's going to get you 10, then you might as well stick with what you've got and you might as well allow those players to continue their development without having that player in front of them, blocking them potentially. So, as I say, the only way in my mind I could justify that being a priority target was if it was someone like Rafinha, who you knew was going to come in and perhaps give us more in terms of outputs than the guys that we already have. If you're talking about another prospect, if you're talking about another youngster who's maybe just on the cusp of it, I don't think it's a priority because we've got players like that already. You know, we've got Saka, Mm. we've got Martinelli, we've got Smith-Rowe. You could argue that Fabio Vieira could play from one of the wide positions from time to time. You could argue that in a crisis, if you really wanted to, Eddie Nketiah could play down the middle and Gabriel Jesus could play from the right. So that's, that's, as I say, that's the only way I could justify it. And I'm not really bothered about going out and bringing in a nearly winger. If that's what we're going to do, I'd rather spend the money um, on another midfielder or bringing in uh, another defensive recruit. That's the way I look at it personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there any names that really come to mind? I don't think the winger market is flushed with quality right now, to be honest, especially realistic, accessible quality. But is there anyone really in your mind that doesn't have to be linked to Arsenal right now, but, you know, someone you would like to have seen Arsenal go for? Um, It's hard to say because any player that I think would be an upgrade is someone that's going to cost a vast amount of money. And again, I go back to that Mm. point. Can you really justify spending that money if, you know, if there's any uncertainty, in which case you're talking about your Gnabry's, you're talking about your Rafinha's, you're talking about that level of player, your Leroy Mm. Sane's. And I just don't see that as being realistic. Those transfers, in a lot of ways, the majority of them that I've mentioned, go against what we're doing at the moment. They go against the grain in terms of how we're trying to operate as a football club, and um, and I just I just don't see it. Um, it's it's hard to put a name on it. Like, you know, yeah. I wouldn't have. I said Rafinha um, in a show that I did on my channel with Mike maybe three or four months ago before we got to the transfer window, and and even when we got that link come through and we heard it from sort of reputable sources, I was still surprised. Mm. I'm still like, wow, Arsenal are willing to dump this much of their budget on a player in that position. It surprised me. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've just never really regarded it as a top priority. It's probably third or fourth in my list. Yeah. Um, and if we can do it, great. But if we can't, then fine. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Look, I think that there are people throwing names in the chat box. Look, Michael Elise is, is a great player. Um, Michel, is it Michelle or Michael Elise? Is Michelle Elise? It's French, isn't it? Um, <laughs> at Crystal Palace, um, it's a fantastic talent, but doesn't upgrade us. You know, he doesn't. I don't think he holds a candle to Saka. You know, on that right hand side, he's a very, very good talent, but I just don't think he gives you what, say, Rafinha would have brought in. As you said, same goes for Asensio. I don't think having brought in Fabio Vieira, there's much point in bringing in. Asensio this summer. Pedro Neto is a bit of an unknown. I like him. He's Premier League quality Cleary, but I don't really see enough evidence of him coming back from that serious injury for me to go and throw down, say, what, 50 million? Because Wolves are going to ask for something like that level of money to get him in. Whilst he fits the profile and age bracket of what Arteta is going for, I just don't think that's realistic. Jared Bowen, as Neil says here, again, West Ham are going to ask for, you know, 70, 80 odd million pounds for a player that, on the face of it, does he start for Arsenal? I don't think so right now. I think Saka, Jesus, Martinelli is our front three starting against Crystal Palace right now. He doesn't play on the left. Um, and I don't think he starts over either of Jesus or, or Saka right now, to be honest. And I, I think he would 
is it worth spending 80 odd million quid on a player like that? I don't know. I think I would have been willing to say go to 40 odd million to get in, say, a Rafinha, because I think that's a good amount of money to spend on someone that can compete with Saka, but but not 80 odd million pounds, especially as you said, for a position that's say third choice or third priority in the list of players. The only genuine player that I think is worth spending upwards of £50 million on this window is Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. If He's the only one to me that I think is worth spending that level of money on. And I don't see Arsenal really doing that this summer. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, um, you know, with Milinkovic-Savic, it's, it's one of those that when the rumour came out, like like you, I'm a big, big fan of his and I tried to convince myself and I tried to persuade myself and I tried to get myself into the state of mind where I thought, yeah, maybe this is a possibility. But the more you think about it logically, um, the more unlikely it becomes. And I think for all the money that Arsenal have spent over the last couple of summers and the last couple of seasons or whatever, and, you know, we've, we've been quite full of praise, actually, for the way the club have backed Mikel Arteta, despite it being in a really difficult time coming off the mm. back of the pandemic, which is you know, almost handicapped a lot of football clubs. I think we gave them a lot of praise for that. But actually, when you break the business down, we don't go over 50 million for a player. We just don't do it. Like, we've clearly got a ceiling. And maybe that ceiling goes up a bit when you get back in the Champions League in the way that it has for Liverpool. You know, Liverpool, you know, they spent that Coutinho money that everybody talks about. But outside of that, it's always been sort of 40, 50 million pound here, 40, 50 million pound there. And after a a period of sustained success, good finishes in the Premier League, good finishes in the Champions League, they've now gone and raised that ceiling in terms of what they can spend in the likes of Darwin Nunez. I just don't think we're there yet. So I think when we start going into the market and we we get to that point where it's looking like it's going to be in excess of 50 million, Mm. I think Arsenal have a clear strategy maybe because of, of, of restrictions, maybe because of, of what's available to them. But they do seem to back off every time uh, there's a, a conversation that exceeds that number. So I think it's unrealistic to think that we're going to do that based on what we've seen. Reggie, thanks for the super chat. He says, you both confuse me. We all said that Saka needs to be rotated uh, because he's playing too many minutes. What's the profile for that player? As I think both of us have said, you know, a player like Rafinha, if you could have got him for, say, 40-odd million quid, it, for me, would have been the perfect opportunity to bring someone in that can compete with him. But if we're talking about players like Jarrod Bowen that's going to cost you 80-odd million quid, I don't think going to that level of financial input for a player that rotates with Saka is, is worth it. I just don't think that it is. I think you're going maximum up to something like 40 million to pay for someone like that. You know, there's a reason why Arsenal have not gone to the levels of Pepe since Pepe. You know, we've maxed out at like 50 odd million pounds for players uh, in certain positions of of real importance, like centre-back with Ben White and now striker with Gabriel Jesus, because they were areas that we needed to bring someone in because we were light of genuine starting quality. We've got those players in. But when you're looking at a player that, you know, is going to rotate or compete with someone like Saka, you know, spending 80 odd million quid, where as Clive said, the issue is sales. Our reputation means we struggle to demand a fair price. The market knows that we're in the build mode, plus our fringe wages are too high. When we haven't got the money coming in through sales, you can't justify spending 80 million pounds on a rotational figure. You know, a lot of the players that are going to move on from Arsenal this summer are probably going to move on within the last two, three weeks of the window because they're opportunity signings for clubs. They're not players that clubs are seeking out to get deals for at the early part of the window because they know they can get a better deals for in the second, well, not even the second half, but the final third. 
Go on. Yeah, and and you know, it all comes back to what we've been saying before. It's about priorities. You know, it's about priorities. And if if Bukayo Saka is going to play every single week when he's available in the way he did last season, and I know that in an ideal world we'd like to have a replacement that can come in and, and backfill that position and give him that breather. Um, you know, but again, if you're going to have to go and spend crazy money to bring in someone who is only going to be pushing him as opposed to genuinely competing with him, then that's a that's a, a lot of money to invest. And it, it's too far down the priority list for me to be seen as, as one of the top things that we need to be doing. But I don't know about you, Tom, but going into the Europa League, particularly in the group stages, I wouldn't mind if, if he stays at the club. I know a lot of people are done with him. I wouldn't mind Nicolas Pepe playing in the group stages of the Europa League. I actually think it might do him good, might bring him some confidence. If we don't manage to move him on this summer, it puts him in the shop window again. And I'm confident he can score goals and impact games in that competition. So, you know, it's, as I say, look, I'd love, I would have loved us to go and get Rafinha to come in and be that competition and push Saka. And, And for us to be in a position where if Saka was unavailable or clearly in need of a breather, we weren't damaging the overall quality in the side. But the reality is that we're not a club with unlimited funds. We're a club, you know, who are building and we need to build in a smart and sustainable way so that this success that we're building towards when we do get there can be something that we can breed over the next five, six seasons as opposed to it just being a a sort of flash in the pan. Yeah, I agree. Um, We're going to go to the questions in the chat box in a second. So if you have got questions for the last 15 minutes of the show, uh, do get them in now and we'll try and tackle as many of them as we can. Before we do, though, I did want to get your thoughts on the preseason friendly and, of course, William Saliba's involvement in the game. Uh, Ben White was unavailable because of, uh, again, picking up a slight injury, it seems. From what you saw, how confident are you that he can have an impact on Arsenal next season? Yeah, I, I mean, I liked what I saw of him, but I'm also wary of, of jumping to too many conclusions off the back of a friendly. Um, but what I saw was a player with presence, a player with confidence and a player um, who you'd have never guessed was playing really his, one of his first games in an Arsenal shirt. Um, you know, that, that for me was the most impressive thing about it. When I looked at William Saliba from afar during his time at Marseille, I wasn't quite sure which category of centre-back he falls into. So for me, there's there's two categories at the moment, right? You've got Gabriel on the left, who's a physical powerhouse, um, quite quick across the ground, uh, does all the, the kind of one-on-one bits really, really well. And then you've got Ben White, who's a little bit more withdrawn sometimes from the heat of the action, steps back, reads the game, um, one of his big strengths is is that stepping into challenges as opposed to using physicality. It's more about the, the quickness of thought with Ben White. And then, of course, his distribution. But I, I looked at Saliba the other night and I thought that his distribution, particularly in the first half, was really, really good and a real positive. And I'm now convinced that he's a better all-round centre-back than maybe I initially thought. Um, but that is because he's gone out on loan and because he spent time at a top club in France where he's been under pressure to perform week in, week out. And that has made him become a man. You know, we had a boy and now we've got a man that's come back. And and I was really, really impressed by what I saw of him. But of course, let's see how it goes, because this is a preseason friendly against an Everton side that were very disjointed, um, I think, are struggling with an identity crisis at the moment under Frank Lampard. They don't really, I I know, again, pre-season friendly, don't read into it too much, but they were playing Mm. with Damari Gray and Calvert-Lewin up front. And it was, 
it was all a little bit mishmash. So don't want to get carried away, but I am confident that he can be a real key part of the squad this season. And and I don't think that what happened previously is something that can, I don't want to say derail that, but mm. I think what happened last season is something that they can get past. You know, that breakdown in relationship can be worked on. And I think we can move past that if uh, if he gets the game time that he feels he deserves. Fair play. Um, let's let's jump into the chat then uh, and tackle some of your questions. First of all, this this question from Rancid Punkin is hilarious. I know you don't know, but will Zinchenko be an Arsenal player by the end of this week? I love that. I know you don't know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. The answer is we don't know. So I hope that answers your question. Um, going into I'm going to say he won't. I'm going to say he won't because it's Arsenal. Okay. If we don't drag it out for about three weeks, there'll be something wrong. So yeah, Rahul says, I think we need, uh, and thank you for the donation, by the way, I think we need two central midfielders, one to compete with Partey and one to compete with Xhaka and not uh, one that would be involved in the African Cup of Nations. I look, I, I'm never, I never get the idea of this, you know, the African Cup of Nations runs for, you know, typically less than a month and for me is not a reason to not sign a player ever. You know, if a player is good enough and they happen to be a player that will be involved in the African Cup of Nations, I, I would not allow that to affect my opinion of, of whether or not we should sign them. So whilst I think the two central midfielders is is a, a fair request and certainly one I had at the beginning of the season, um, I, I don't think that the participation in the AFCON should should ever come into to play with that. Uh, Matt G says, Harry, do you think that part of Zinchenko's personal terms is us not signing any more midfielders so that he is more likely to get more game time there? Um, my guess is that we won't sign any more midfielders anyway if that deal gets completed. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm sure, but I think that Arsenal would see that as, as midfield business more than left-back business. And therefore, I think that that would kind of reduce the likelihood of us going out and getting someone else. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that's something that any player should really have the power to specify. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I think you set a dangerous precedent when you start letting players dictate what you're going to do in the transfer market. But I do think you'll want guarantees about game time. I do think you'll want a clear uh, explanation of what his role at Arsenal Football Club mm -hmm. is going to be, because... I know that he'll get more game time at Arsenal and I know that should be the appeal in itself. But this is a guy who's won it all apart from the Champions League, obviously. Um, that still evades Manchester City. And this is a guy who, you know, probably wants to be a part of something now. But he's also given up Champions League football year in, year out. And he's given up the opportunity, I believe, to challenge for the Premier League title and the very biggest prizes in the game. So I think we're going to have to do some convincing with regards to his role as I said earlier, I don't believe that finances are going to be a problem. I don't think he can demand that we don't sign any more midfielders. I think it's just simply down to his role, yeah. what that will be, and he'll want assurances. Absolutely. Uh, Clive says, Tom checks Zinchenko's injury record. Do you have any concerns? Uh, I mean, looking at it, I don't think he's been injured since, what, October? Um, I know he missed games because of COVID in January, but he's not been injured since October. Before that, you know, they're stretches of small numbers of games. You know, these aren't long periods. He obviously had that knee surgery of that serious injury back in 1920. But beyond that, they're, they're little issues that I don't think would necessarily worry me. Um, I'm not put off by that. Harry, are you put off by any potential injury records? Um, if he has got a bad injury record, he'll fit right in at Arsenal. So that's uh, <laughs> that would that would be a nice easy transition for him. No, but jokes aside, um, I'm not overly worried about it. I think it is something that I am 
always worried about, though. It is something I always look into when we're going to sign a player, just because of how we've been burnt by that in the past. But the flip side of that is somebody like Thomas Partey came in with a, a really clean injury record and then has turned out to be uh, very, very injury-prone since joining the club. So I guess you never really know, do you? Mm-hmm. Rahul replied from the earlier point saying considering January for our worst month I think it should be again I think if you've got enough of the quality and depth in your team you don't need to worry about it. if a player's good enough I'd sign them regardless of what competitions they're playing and when they're playing them in um, let's go to uh, Henke Ho who says uh, is the new away kit one of the best kits in a long long time just a question about other things other than transfers which we appreciate trust me um, Harry uh, people know my thoughts on this as being one of the greatest kits I've ever seen. But what is your thoughts on the away kit? Yeah, I, I don't want to overreact, but it is the greatest kit ever made in the history of football. So yeah, <laughs> I've already ordered mine. It was the first yeah. thing I did this morning. Same, same. So, yeah. Did you get a name or is it just plain? No, I don't get a name anymore. I probably haven't got a name since. The last name I got was Van Persie. Oh, and, I can see why you don't. And you can see why I've been, I've been burnt, so I won't do it again now. Yeah, I have a Van Persie shirt and a Fabregas shirt and an Alexis Sanchez shirt. I've got a Nasri one. Shirt. I don't have a Nasri one. Um, I have pretty much everyone I buy leaves. I know eventually everybody does, but I have quite a collection of players that have left for our rivals. So, you know, yeah, it's. Uh, I still do get names on the back. You know, this season I've gone for Martinelli. I've gone for Odegaard on the back of the the, the black shirt. I'm probably going to get Jesus on the back of the pink shirt. Uh, I just like having that kind of history of, of my favorite players yeah. I was looking out for in the season if you know and you know Odegaard for me is still my favorite player in the Arsenal squad and I'm looking forward to seeing if he can level up his game well here's here's a terrible one for you so when I was a kid I can't remember exactly how old I was but I I went to Highbury to play uh, in this penalty shootout tournament before a game it was like sponsored yeah. by McDonald's or something and um and I won the penalty shootout and the prize was you got a full Arsenal kit of your choosing you could choose the mm. home the away and we had the blue uh, dreamcast third one was available yeah. as well and i chose that and they asked me what name i wanted and uh, this was when we just signed francis jeffers so i got jeffers number nine on the back of that shirt <laughs> has anyone ever put a worse name on the back of their shirt <laughs> i still got it wow. No, I think if anything, that holds its own intrinsic value, to be honest. Um, just for how left field that Niche, is. Um, Lynn says, Why don't you have Arteta's lawyer put on the back of the shirt? I think that's a fair. It's true. <laughs> it is effectively your second name at this point. Um, let's go to uh An- Angel, uh, who says, uh, what do you guys think of the back three Arteta has tried? Do you think it can work in certain games? Um I'm a little bit iffy on it, if I'm honest with you. Um, yeah. I've got, you know, I look at, I think we we can use a back three in game. So we can move to a back three in play. And what I mean by that is you can push the left back on, whether that be slightly infield or on the outside. And then mm. you can shift across with Gabriel White and Tommy Asu. And I think a lot of the reason why he wanted Tommy Asu at right back is because of his ability to slot in as a centre back quite easily and give us that opportunity to then overload the midfield a bit more mm-hmm. and build up on the press like we like to do. So I think Mikel Arteta likes the idea of a back three in certain patterns of play. But I think to start with one is something that we could do from time to time. I just don't see it as being a plan A. Um, is it even a plan B for me? Not not sure, because I think it takes away 
from other areas of the pitch. I think when you look at Tommy Asu as well, you know, is he a wing back? No, he's not. Uh, he's more of a full back for me than a wing back because I think if he has a limitation, it's that when he does get forward, I don't know that he always makes the right decisions and I don't know that he always. I know people talk about him being two footed and all that. I don't know that he's yeah. he's effective that far up the pitch. So to me, it's not the go to. I don't think it's Mikel Arteta's go to, but we have seen that he likes to be tactically flexible. And so I don't think it's something he'll rule out. We saw it the other night um, and, and it's clearly an option for him. But I always think in preseason friendlies, you will see odd formations and you will see odd setups more just because you want to get everybody on the pitch and give them the minutes that they need than it being an indication of what your plan is moving forward. Mm. Uh, Mikel Arteta has been speaking about uh, Alexander Zinchenko. He's been asked about the question. And instead of doing his classic, we don't like to talk about you know players of other teams, he's actually answered the question by saying, in kind of similar terms, but he said, when there are updates, we will let you know. I think you can take that as a good sign. You know, you know, he was asked about the Tielemans deal earlier at the Germany game. And he just batted it away very quickly with the whole, you know, we don't talk about players. When he tends to kind of break a little bit and mention things like that, it's usually a good sign. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to guarantee you anything that Zinchenko will definitely be an Arsenal player because we've seen deals fall apart. You know, oh, the whole Daniel Ballard going to to um, Burnley deal looked exceptionally close and then broke down at the medical. So it's dangerous to do that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm not going to guarantee you he's coming, but I would say that it looks pretty darn good. Um, and I'm really, really genuinely excited about the potential to see Alexander Zinchenko as a Arsenal player. Let's finish uh, the show with a couple more questions. Uh, Pete Trim says, are you guys a bit disappointed with the level of talent available in the market for various positions? Um, I don't know if you can be disappointed. Talent. It's just what it is, isn't it? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. It is what it is. And I think there's always talent available. It's just how far are you willing to go to acquire that talent? talent is the big question mm -hmm. uh, and as we discussed earlier I think Arsenal do have a ceiling in terms of what they're willing to spend on individual players at this point in time and um, and we have to just make sure the signings we do make are, are shrewd ones are smart ones and ones that give us a great chance of getting back to where we want to be Indeed, indeed. And last one, again, uh, I, I appreciate Henkeho's questions because they are just different and we do enjoy a little bit of a fun one. So what do you think Edu's favourite is when he's doing a barbecue? Is it lamb chops is the suggestion? I mean, as the Arsenal barbecuing king, um, I need to know your thoughts on this. I'm sure that Edu goes for, for steak. I'm, I'm almost certain. He, he strikes you me like as a salt steak. as well. Like, yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think he's more of a steak man, more of a beef man uh, than lamb chops, if I'm being honest with you. I do like a lamb chop. I haven't done any for a while. You've just inspired me. Uh, that'll be probably tomorrow or Wednesday's dinner now. Uh, but yeah, I think he's more of a steak man. I'm actually going to finish the show with this question because it's just a very Canton and Simi style way to end the show. Salamu says, why do you always feel the need to defend Arteta all the time? <laughs> This is, a, this, is, this is an easy question to answer. Oh, no. It's not a need to defend Mikel Arteta. Nobody feels a need to defend Mikel Arteta. People are just, there's a lot of people like us that are, are being patient and that are seeing progress and are happy to give it the time to breathe and, and hopefully develop into what we want it to be. I prefer to look at the bright side and I prefer to get behind my club and get behind my team then I do standing there being outraged for half of the time, no good reason, which unfortunately a lot of people do. 
Um, and and for some, and even more unfortunate is that so many Arsenal fans gravitate towards that, in my opinion, because this need to be outraged about everything is just, it's it's not what being a supporter is. You're you're a supporter or you're a critic because those are two different things. Um, you can be critical when it's warranted, and you can be um, constructive in your criticism. And and like everybody else, we feel it when Arsenal lose. You know, we have to talk about it every day. It's our job. Like, what's worse than that? You can't get away from it. But the <laughs> the want to jump on someone and be critical of them before they failed is like just baffling to me, and I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, my answer is pretty quick as well. It's it's I don't. And I criticise Arteta quite a lot. Um, and throughout the season, I certainly criticised a lot of the decision-making, especially in January, especially with some of the team selections in the running. But ultimately, like Harry, it is about ensuring that you remain grounded and objective and measured in your responses. There are times to, in my view, accept that things aren't going in the right direction. However, I feel that what we have seen is being is seeing Arsenal turned in the right direction. Decisions being made that weren't being made before. Decisions that I think are going to put Arsenal back on the map in regards to going in the right direction if it's continued and if we see this progression keep going. If things change and evidence changes, then I'm sure mine and, you know, without speaking too much for Harry, but if the evidence suggests otherwise, our opinions will change based upon what we see. But we will remain objective and grounded and not be forced into changing a view just because maybe the C is, you know, of Arsenal fans. I say C of Arsenal fans. It is unfortunately a very loud minority. It tends to be. But uh, but yeah, I think it is important that you remain objective and, you know, stick by your print. If you can back up an argument, you've got an argument. If you can't, you don't. And that's just tends to be what it ends up being. Um, but thank you ever so much, everybody, for tuning in and listening. I uh, always appreciate your time. Uh, you can make sure to check out the next episode of the Canton and Simu show over on Harry's channel, which he's going to tell you all about now. Yep, head over to the Chronicles of Aguna. You can subscribe there. It's available on YouTube and on all major podcast stores. And uh, thanks, Tom, as always, mate. Absolutely. You can find a link to Harry's channel in the video description uh, for today. So make sure that you go and do that. Uh, we'll, as I say, we'll be live over there next week. You may see us elsewhere. We obviously feature quite heavily on the Highbury Squad and Lee Judges TV and other places as well. So you'll be able to check us all out over there as well. So make sure you're subscribed across the plethora of different channels that are available to you. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8am. I also might be live at 8pm tonight over on the Gooners pod with Owen and Andy uh, so I look forward to, to that that's always a, a good bit of fun going over there and also if you haven't seen poorly drawn Arsenal's latest video with Magic Mike do go and check that one out he talks about random stuff that even puts off poorly drawn Arsenal at times which is you know quite quite an achievement so it's worth checking that out too anyway thank you so much for tuning in I'll see you again very very soon and from me and Harry as always up the Arsenal <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.